Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Thank you. Wow. What awesome pastors you and Justin, your husband, are, Kelly. You guys are amazing. Wow, and thank you, everybody, for such a lovely, warm uh, welcome. Uh, I love you all, and I know if Kate and I had the opportunity to come to each of your homes, have a meal with you, sit down, hear your stories, listen to all the things that God's done for you, we would be really, really blessed. You, I just feel in the, just in the worship, you know, I can feel just how much y'all love Jesus. And uh, it's just such a, an honor and a blessing to be part of this uh, community, this body of Christ, and, and to be in that place where together we just love Jesus like crazy. We live for him. I'm wearing a t-shirt that's from our Catch the Fire Sano um, team. And uh, they actually have a store that uh, we've asked them to create, given them a blessing to create um, in Japan. But it's for everybody in the world called The Fire. And so they, they, they have all kinds of stuff that they're doing. And uh, this T-shirt says one of the things that um, the Asia, our Asia Sphere leader, um, Mike Sarker, often says when he preaches in Japan, uh, he says, you can because it's you. And for the Japanese, that's really, really important because, you know, they have a culture that is, in a sense, causes them to feel like not me everybody else, but not me, you know. So to be able to say, you can because you're you. And of course, for us in Christ Jesus, you can because you're you. You can because you're you in Christ. And you can because Christ is in you. So yeah, Kate and I just got back actually from uh, a wonderful trip in Japan and Taiwan, doing two conferences. One with all of our churches, Catch the Fire churches in Japan, which was fantastic. So many miracles and people being baptized in daddy's love and being transformed and learning how to reach their friends and, and uh, ripen the harvest and so on in the kingdom. And we just had an amazing, amazing time. Fire tunnels were off the hook. Then we went straight to, I think we've got about between 14 and 16 churches in Japan. I really need to get that down in my memory but it's actually growing all the time. That's the problem. And then uh, we went straight there to Taiwan, where we have five Catch the Fire churches in Taiwan. And uh, man, are they ever just on fire. And the pastors got together to host us, uh, put on a, 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 um, a fairly significant conference. And many churches from Hualien, a city in the east, uh, came. And uh, we, we just had the most amazing time uh, again Exact similar things that happened in Japan happened in Taiwan. But you know, the Taiwanese are just really, really excitable people. And uh, it just is such a joy to be with them. And our Catch the Fire churches are just on fire. And they're just such lovely people. So, yay. Summer and uh, Stephen, who actually Stephen was, uh, and his daughters were in the first service. Uh, but they're Taiwanese in their origins. They're American now. But uh, summer's right now in Taiwan. And so, yeah, I just, I just love being a global family, everybody. You know, imagine we have almost 200 churches all around the world that are all catch the fire. And it doesn't matter which church you go to. It feels the same presence of God, the same fire, and uh, the same passionate people that love Jesus. All right, my message this morning is entitled Empowering Faith empowering faith. And if, and I love it because the Holy Spirit dropped that title in my heart and it's a double entendre. Not only is faith empowering, but this message and the, 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 the contents of the message, so to speak, the Word of God in this message empowers our faith. So, not only do we have empowering faith, but this message is going to empower your faith. All right, I want you to turn to the book of Mark and chapter 11. I didn't realize this when I preached this message this morning, that Aaron actually preached out of Mark 11 
uh, last week, was it? So we're in the spirit, Aaron. And um, I preached this message to leapfrog on Aaron's message. And so I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to really teach us regarding faith. So Mark 11, verse 12. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. Let's just pause a minute. Holy Spirit, we posture our hearts before you to learn from you this morning. Lord, would you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to understand the things of the kingdom? And would you empower our faith? Would you transform us, Holy Spirit? Would you preach straight through me? Would you give each of us, myself included, ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit's saying? In Jesus' name we pray. Let this message bear great fruit in our lives. Amen. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. And that's the strangest thing, don't you think? Here's a fig tree minding its own business. It's a little tree. It's doing everything that's appropriate for its season. It's growing leaves so that through those leaves, it can be a stronger, more improved version of itself during the course of the season. And then when the season's right, actually bear fruit when the season's right. And here's Jesus in the wrong season going to the fig tree and expecting fruit, and then, when he sees no fruit, saying to the fruit, the, the fig tree, wither and die. It's like, what? That's just so mean. Why would you do that to the fig tree? And then you remind yourself, Jesus made the fig tree. He can do whatever he wants with whatever he's made. And he made that fig tree for exactly this purpose. What purpose? To empower their faith. To give the disciples empowering faith. If he had gone and it was the season and it was bearing fruit, or it was the wrong season, but it was bearing fruit in the wrong season, it would have done nothing for their faith. But here's Jesus using a fig tree that he created for just that moment to teach the disciples faith. Let's read on. Verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now there's a context to this message too, but I'm not going to touch on the context this morning because I don't want to in any way distract away from the message of empowering faith. Verse 22 Key verse. Everybody say key verse. key verse. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He or she will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Amen. I think it's amazing how not knowing what I was going to preach on, the, the Holy Spirit led Kelly to lead us in both services. Of course, in the second service, she did know what I was going to speak on. But in the first service, she didn't know. And she had us all, ex, you know, having that activation of believing and, and, and uh, uh, speaking into being whatever we ask. I love it. I'm so glad that we're in the Spirit, all of us together. But I want you to notice in verse 22, this is the empowering faith. I'm now about to empower your faith. Not I, but Christ in me. Jesus is saying, have faith in God. The problem with our English-speaking minds 
is that we don't understand how the preposition works in this situation. So when we read, have faith in God, we immediately, because we're so self-centered, we're so focused on ourselves, we immediately think that Jesus is saying, have faith in God. You have faith in God. But he's not saying that. He's saying, have the faith that's in God. Boom. I could just drop the mic now. What a complete transformation to our entire mindset that is. Because instead of approaching our salvation, instead of approaching the transformation of our cities, the transformation of our families, the transformation of our world that we live in, by us having to conjure up our faith somehow, now we just lean back into God and let Christ who's in us, whose faith we have, Let his faith shake and move the mountains in our lives. It's a completely different shift. In fact, if your salvation was centered on your faith in Jesus, as opposed to Jesus' faith in you, none of us would be saved. You see, because you were actually saved before time began. How much of your faith would have worked at that time? In fact, you were saved when Jesus rose out of the grave, having taken you into the grave with him. That happened 2,000 years ago. How much of your faith has been helpful in you being born again? Are Are you seeing what I'm saying? There's a difference between belief and faith. Our belief in Jesus is what activates his faith in us. His faith at work in us. I want you to notice that Jesus says, whatever you say, it will be done for you. You see, when your faith is struggling to reach God somehow, then you're going to expect God to do everything for you. But when you know that you're united with Christ, he dwells within you, and it's his faith operating and working in you that empowers your tongue to speak the very words of God into being, your tongue can now be a voice of creativity for everything to happen in this world that God the Father desires to happen through you. Boom! You speak it and it comes into being. What you say by his faith in you takes you out of your peewee thinking into his big thinking. I want to draw out right here four important keys for our lives that we're operating in Jesus' life that enabled him to see and do all that he did. We know that everything that he did and everything that he said, we know that it was his father living in him speaking the words and doing the miracles that he did. We know that because Jesus actually said, it's not me who says the words that I say and does the things that I do. It's my father living in me who does his works and says his words. That's all in John 14. And so four keys. Key number one, Jesus knew he was a son. Key number two, Jesus knew that he was a friend of God. Key number one, Jesus knew that he was a son of God. Key number two, Jesus knew that he was a friend of God, the best friend of God, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Key number three, Jesus understood that he was a colleague, the best colleague of God. A colleague. A colleague is a co-worker, a co-laborer, someone that you work with. And number four, key number four, Jesus knew and understood that there's, that this work is a family business and understood that that family business was ruling the universe. In other words, he understood that as a son, he was a royal son. We just had the, there was a coronation in the UK of King Charles III, I don't know, beginning of this month probably went over your heads. Kind of almost went over mine now that I'm American. But a lot of British people came to a complete standstill because their king was coronated. That's an earthly king. 
He's already 70-something. And when I watched it, no dishonor meant to him, but I'm glad that Jesus is an eternal king. And Jesus is from an eternal royal family. And Jesus' father is the eternal father. And Jesus himself is the eternal son. And the Holy Spirit is the eternal spirit of the father and the son. And so Jesus is now showing us, showing the disciples, empowering their faith showing them that their faith empowers them. He's now inviting them to experience for the rest of their lives all that he experiences as a son, a friend, a colleague, and a co-ruler. When we understand that our salvation has not just given us eternal life forever with God, but has brought us into this place of sonship, where we're sons of God, just like Jesus is the son of God. And in fact, there's no second class citizens within that sonship. You are just as much a son as Jesus is. Although he'll always be the son. And you and I are just a son. But it's still equal measure to the extent the Bible tells us in Galatians 4 that we're co-heirs with Christ of God. Jesus is not going to inherit any more than you will inherit. Boom! Let me just drop that mic again. Oh, it's very expensive. But do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that not to be cute. I'm saying that so that you just like, ding dong, wow. Because most of us as Christians, we don't live in that paradigm. We just think, thank God I'm going to be saved. And when Jesus comes back, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be caught up with him. But meanwhile, I'm just going to scratch along in my little life. With this little light of mine. Not realizing we're actually a raging bushfire together. Because we have Christ in us. Not because we're something special, but because Jesus is something special. And therefore that makes us something incredibly special. Together. So number one, we can understand that we can enter into this same sonship. And Galatians 3.26, Paul says, you've all become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is again. Not, not our faith making us a son, but Jesus' faith operating in us that's made us sons of God. And girls, if I have to learn how to become the bride of Christ forever, you'll be okay getting to learn to become sons of God forever. So in this place of sonship, we're actually, according to Ephesians 2 verse 6, we're actually seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he's seated on his throne. And we're seated on our thrones in him. Okay? That's where we are right now. You might think that you're right here in North Kakalaki, and yes, you are. But you are actually in heaven right here. In fact, all of us together, we've kind of, like, just, just imagine, okay? Just imagine that there's a cloth, a huge cloth between earth and heaven, which there isn't. I'm just saying, just imagine there was. You've been lifted up through that, over the cloth, and you're now on top of the cloth. And you're sitting on the cloth all the way down from heaven to earth. The, the cloth is still under your feet, but here you are in North Carolina. Hello, but you're actually in heaven. See what I'm saying? It's just a cute little analogy to help you understand. You are not just little you. You're big you in Christ Jesus, making a very big difference in your family, in your workplace, in your church, everywhere you go, no matter where you are, you are in heaven, bringing heaven onto the earth. Now, if unfortunately your taste in coffee is not yet at that elevated level where you're still going to Starbucks, remember that when you're in Starbucks, heaven is under your feet and you've just brought heaven into Starbucks. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Yeah. You go to Chick-fil-A. I was just in Chick-fil-A yesterday. No, day before yesterday. Friday with my grandkids. Man, it's just so much fun. If you just want to get filled with joy, go to Chick-fil-A on a Friday evening. Oh my gosh. And if, I, if we happen to be there as a family, you're going to have a lot of fun. Because, man, it's a lot of fun and a lot of joy. But we, when we're sitting there in Chick-fil-A, you know, and, and we're dipping our chicken nuggets into buffalo sauce, we're actually doing it in heaven. Eating those waffle fries. And I tell you what, sometimes you get a glimpse of heaven when those waffle flies, fries just touch you like that with that Chick-fil-A sauce. It's awesome. Number two, we've been invited into this realm of friendship with God. Jesus said it himself, John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. I know, John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, but friends, because a servant does not know their master's business. And so, add that together with Psalm, uh, let me think, Psalm 27, 14. Let me just check my notes. I'm sorry, Psalm 25, verse 14. Good job I checked my notes. Psalm 25, 14 says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. Do you know what the word confide means? It means to tell secrets. You do not tell secrets to anyone who's not your best friend. At least if you're smart. And God's way smarter than us. And so French sonship with God is simply, is unconditional Because God has made us sons through faith in Christ Jesus. It's his faith operating in us. He chose us before time began. It's unconditional in that sense. Predicated on just this one thing. That you just simply believe that he's done all that for you. And when you just believe that he's done that all for you. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. You're born again. You're born of the Spirit. You become a son or daughter of God. It wasn't your choice. Friendship, on the other hand, is not at all like that. Friendship is not unconditional. Friendship is absolutely conditional. Friendship is invitational. Friendship is when you say yes to the invisible God and you draw near to him. It doesn't make you any more of a son. You're already a son. But you can be a son and not be a friend. See, my father's sitting just over there, Colin Smith. Since I was born, I've been his son. Actually, since I was conceived, but we won't talk about that. But since I was conceived, I've been my father's son. I didn't choose my dad. My, cho- my dad chose me. However, I've had, most of my, I've had all of my life as an invitation to become his friend. That choice lies with me. Don't be thinking just because you're a son, you're automatically a friend of God. Draw near to him. And he'll draw near to you. Okay. Number three. Oh, by the way, before we leave number two, obedience. Did you, did anybody catch that? If you obey me, you're my friends. Obedience is a non-negotiable aspect of the kingdom. If you want to be someone who actually is friends with God and has an adventurous life with God, this side of eternity and the other side of eternity. Number three. As sons who are friends, as we begin to respond the same way Jesus did, who, Philippians 2 says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped hold on to to himself, but instead emptied himself and became a servant of all. Therefore, God lifted him up and seated him in the highest place. What would your life look like? If instead of scratching around in religion, trying to somehow please God with all your religious works and bowing down to whatever, you realize God already has saved you. It was his doing. It's his faith that's been working in you. Your little yes has activated the whole thing. And now in that place of union with him in the heavenlies, you choose because you've got access 
to everything that you need, an infinite level of energy, an infinite level of treasure, an infinite level of money, an infinite level of wisdom, everything that you need, you choose to now pull it all down and start serving everybody around you. That you use all that God's given you for others. That all the blessing that you have been given in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 1.3 says that every spiritual blessing has been given to us. That we give that blessing away. Wow. Epic. When that starts to happen and you start to lay your life down for everybody around you and you begin to start to operate in a realm that shows and demonstrates that you are not a narcissist Christian, but you're a true Christian who understands you're in Christ and that all the benefits of being in Christ are yours to give away to the world. You will start to be the living testimony and epistle of the gospel. And God will take notice of that and begin to invite you not just into the living room of friendship, but into the boardroom of heaven and start showing you the strategies of what he's doing on the earth. Because Jesus said in John 5, 17, he said, my father is always working and the son also works. John 5, 19, the son can do nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does, the son does in like manner. And then I love John 5, 20, and the father loves the son and shows him all he does. And he's speaking about you. Speaking about you and me in Christ Jesus, what would our lives look like if we began to tap in and be able to start allowing the Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit of Jesus and the Father, to start showing us in the boardroom of heaven how to really bring the strategies of heaven into the marketplace of our lives. Start showing us which houses to invest our money into. Start showing us which, which tenants to say yes to and which tenants to say no to. Start showing us what to spend our money on and stop wasting money on everything else. What would it look like if we began to start stewarding things really well? Well, what would happen is that we'd start to realize, come into this place of realizing everything belongs to God and everything's ours. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, Verse 9, he says, we are co-laborers with Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21 and 23, he says, all things are yours. All things are yours. What's left out of all? See, Kate and I have really begun to enjoy flying on our private jet. And there's nothing like flying private. It is so much better than going commercial. I'm telling you, it is awesome. It's epic. The service is fantastic. It's brilliant. It beats flying in a commercial airline like you can't even compare. The thing for Kate and I is that the Holy Spirit's just teaching us to start sharing it, learn to share it with 300 other passengers. You're all laughing with, oh, thank God, I feel so relieved. I knew he was using all of our money for something. (laughs) It's a different mindset. You know, when you sit there and you think to yourself, you know what, the problem with churches, they're always after your money. If that's, if you ever catch yourself thinking like that, that is the probably the best revelation to your heart that can show you, you don't know you're a son, you've no idea about friendship with God, you have absolutely no colleagueship experience with God, and number four, you don't know how to rule with and reign with Christ. Sorry, you just gave it away by thinking that churches are after your money. Look at how many churches there are in the world. Look at the level of wealth that there is in the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, on and on and on. Do you honestly think that all of that wealth has been accumulated by pastors that have swindled their people out of their money? There is a God in heaven, everybody, who's bigger than all of us and bigger than the church. And he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's no church on planet earth that needs our money. Because God 
is our provider. However, he invites us to return our tithes because it belongs to him. He invites us to sow our offerings because he wants to give us a harvest. He invites us to give to the poor because he wants us to experience what it feels like to be God. He wants us to lend freely because he wants us to never be shaken. Psalm 5, 15. Number four. Not only as sons who are friends who are now colleagues from the boardroom, we actually get invited into the family business of royalty. And you know what kings do? They sit around. You say, what? Yep, they sit around. What would your work look like? I'm going to pick on a friend of mine over there that I can see. Who, as a physical therapist, I know I can trust him. As a physical therapist, what would it look like if, as a physical therapist, you were being a physical therapist as a king, which he is, because he's treated me, and I felt like royalty when he was treating me. That's what kings do. They make you feel like royalty. You know why? Because they got everything. They lack nothing. They're not searching for significance. What would it look like if instead of working really hard in your own strength, you began to rest and let God work really hard through you through his strength? What would it look like if instead of working for money, money started working for you? Because you started to rule and reign over money. Hey, money, I fire you as my boss. You're fired. You were a lousy boss. I'm not working for you ever again in Jesus' name. You see, if you think about it, if your mindset is, I work for 60,000 a year, I work for 100,000 a year, I work for 300,000 a year, you're still working for money. If on the other hand, money is working for you, you never chase money. However, money will always be chasing you. Come on. Come with me. We're going over here. We're going to bless this one. Oh, by the way, come over here. We're blessing that one. Oh, by the way, come over here. We're blessing that one. There's a verse in the Bible. I can't remember where it is, but it says that the one who holds on loses everything. The one who lets go, more is given into their hand. See, there's something about knowing that you're a son who's a best friend with God, who begins to understand the heart and mind of God, who understands that God's provided everything for his purpose, and you begin to line up with that purpose. You begin to rest, and you start to rule. And now all of a sudden you find yourself sitting in your chair called a throne. And from that chair, what do you do? You do what kings do. What kings do, they do three things. They exercise their power. Actually, let's put it in reverse. Number one, they make decrees. Number two, they look for people to agree with them with those decrees. And number three, they enforce those decrees that are agreed upon with power. That's what kings do. Thank you, darling. And to quote Bill Johnson, they rule with the heart of a servant and they serve with the heart of a king. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 4 says this. Where the word of the king is, there is power. Can we have that up please? Where the word of the king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, where is power? There. Where is there? Thank you, where the word is of a person who knows they're a king. You know what? If you and I stopped complaining about what's going on in our lives around us and started instead to align ourselves with the reality that Jesus is the king of kings and we're those little kings in his big kingship and we started to let our tongue line up with what he says about our circumstances and we started to 
like Kelly was saying, take our eyes off of our circumstances and keep our eyes on the king and begin to address our circumstances as kings who know exactly how to enforce the kingdom of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the love of God, the impossibility that God makes possible of God. You name it, on and on and on. That's, that's transformational, everybody. Where the word of a king is, there is power. The problem is we spend most of our lives grumbling instead of ruling. I'll preach to these guys over here. Is it? Job 22.28 says, Decree a thing or declare a thing and it will be established for you that light will shine on your ways. Look at that. Decree a thing and it will be established for you. Why? So that light will shine on your ways. When we grumble, we sit in darkness. When we speak and decree according to the word of God, Light begins to shine on our ways. We find a way out. That's what kings do. They exercise the power of decree. And then they trigger the nuclear bomb of prayer. The nuclear bomb of prayer is Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said simply this. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it will be done for you by your Father in heaven. There's no conditions to that except one thing. Find somebody who will agree with you. When you're a king and you find another king and you agree together concerning anything, not a lot left out of anything, that you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I don't think Nancy would mind me sharing this, but Nancy Nyland, one of our octogenarians, came up to me and if you don't know what that means, have a dictionary for breakfast. It'll help you. Um, one of our octogenarians came up to me and she said, Duncan, I just heard your message, the tail end of your message. And I wanted to just share with you. I needed a car. My car had broken down, was done, was dead. I needed a car. And I just began to do what I've been, what I've been taught here. And I reached into that invisible atmosphere. I trusted my heavenly daddy. I reminded myself I'm a daughter. And I just trusted that God would bring it to pass. And then she was on the phone with her sister. And she was telling her sister about her car situation. And her sister said, how much do you need? And she said, well, I need 20,000. And her sister said, okay. And so they, I guess they agreed. Even if they didn't realize they were agreeing or deliberately they agreed. Here's the thing though. Nancy, when she put the phone down, she's thinking, you know, my sister's really kind. She'll probably give me a thousand dollars. Her sister gave her twenty thousand dollars and bought the car. She bought the car. Okay. Why am I taking the time to say that? Because when you're 80 years old, you can still be enjoying some extraordinary miracles of God. Man, when I grow up, Nancy, I hope I'm still full of faith like you. That empowering faith. All right. Well, in the first service, I told the story of how God gave us these two buildings, our first building and then this building. Absolute miracle. Don't have time for that now. Uh, so you'll, you're just going to have to either read my book called uh, Consumed with Holy Fire, or there's a whole chapter on that story, or listen to the first service on the screen. But just... To finish with this, during a moment where we needed $1.4 million to buy our first building, when our church was three and a half years ago, when this community was three and a half years old, and we needed $1.4 million because our landlord, who was an atheist Jew, was going to sell the building. And we didn't have any money. We had nothing but God. We had the faith of God operating in us. And just when I thought that I was praying my most fantastic prayers, the Lord rebuked me and said, what are you doing? 
I was on my knees on a boat and I just thought I was being so spiritual. I was like, Lord, I'm in West Palm Beach all around me. Houses and boats worth hundreds of millions and all we need is 1.4 million. And it's not even for me. It's for your building. So would you just please buy your building? (laughs) And then the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Duncan, stand up, son. Reach into the invisible atmosphere of my kingdom. Take hold of $1.4 million and pull it down and put it into the account of Catchafire Raleigh. So Jesus said, you are my friends if you obey me. Well, without even thinking, I just jumped up. I didn't, I did the most supernatural prayer I think I've ever prayed. It went like this. Yeah! Foo! Just like that. That's all I did. Because that's what he told me to do. And I'm a bit childlike, even though I'm 55. A little crazy. And here's the amazing thing. Despite eight banks saying no to us, and not giving us a mortgage, some of them even laughing at us. Michael, who's a board member, will remember this. Um, we got a check in the mail. Not even, we had three months to close. We weren't even at the end of the first month. Said this, dear colleague, please find a check enclosed in the amount of $1,200,000 from one of our donors who wishes to remain anonymous, but wants you to know that you may use the money as you see fit. The envelope was addressed, Duncan Smith, Cash Fire Ministries. And I say that because I want you to understand it wasn't about me. It was about the fact that Jesus considers me and you, all of us, colleagues. And when we're colleagues, we have access to his infinite treasure. You see, all of Warren Buffett's money is peanuts compared to what Jesus owns. And you can either live out of your bank account or you can learn to live out of his bank account. If you live out of your bank account, that's when you have faith in God to make your bank account bigger. When you live in his bank account, that's when the faith of God is operating in you and you're operating out of his bank account. See the difference, everybody. Jesus didn't say heal the sick. Sorry, excuse me. Jesus didn't say pray for the sick. He said heal the sick. Let's stand, everybody. Just 10 days after that, we had 1.3 million and 80,000 and we're thinking, oh my goodness, a month isn't even up and we're almost there. And then we thought, oh, but 20,000, we're 20,000 short. That's a lot of money. Where are we going to get that from? That's a wicked thought when you've just been given 1.2 million. <laughs> and then we had a second wicked thought. We thought, oh, easy. We'll go to the bank now that's all said no. They'll for sure give us 20,000. That's nothing. You know that God just ignored all of that? That was on a Sunday night. My wife and I were having those thoughts. It was actually me having those thoughts, talking to my wife. And she was looking at me going. And the next morning, we're having coffee in the bright Carolina sunshine in April. My phone goes off. My brother calls me. Duncan, another envelope's arrived. I've opened it. It says, please find enclosed a check from an anonymous donor. Dear colleague again, dear colleague, I want to emphasize that. Please find a check in the amount of 100,000 from one of our donors who wishes to remain anonymous. We had 1,480,000. I was able to phone up our, yeah, thank you, Jesus. I was able to phone up our atheist landlord who just was baffled by the whole thing and call him up and say, hey, I'd love to have lunch with you. We'd like to close on our building tomorrow. And he's like, well, actually, I didn't say we'd like, I just want to have lunch with you. And so he's like, yeah, sure. So we go to this, the golf club, which is where he invited us to in Kerry. Never been to a place like it in my life. Parked up our little Toyota Corolla that our youngest daughter now still has. And I, Murray and I got out of the Toyota Corolla and we're like walking past, you know, Porsche, Mercedes, BMW. And we're like, Murray, we're millionaires. We're millionaires. Yeah. Come on now. We're millionaires. And Ellie says, our Jewish atheist landlord says in the middle of lunch, so what's this all about? 
well, we want to close on the building tomorrow. Tomorrow? Still got more than two months to go. You got the money already? Did the bank say yes? We're like, no. Eight banks said no. And in fact, some of them laughed at us. It's not very kind to laugh. Because we had no money, everybody. Except we did. It was just right here. Just right here. And I was able to say to Ellie, Ellie, eight banks said no. But how much, but Yeshua HaMashiach, your champion, Messiah, who loves you with an everlasting love, even though you don't believe in him, he's given us $1.4 million and 80,000 over so we can give it to you to bless you because he loves you. Well, Ellie was so excited. He said to me, Duncan, this is crazy. You and I have to go away to the Appalachian Mountains and spend the whole weekend riding our Harleys just to celebrate. And that's what we did. And I've not heard the F word so much in I don't know how long between him and all his buddies that I rode with. But that's okay. Apparently God loves them. Guys, during the worship in the first service, I felt the Holy Spirit. I did not prepare this message for this moment. I want you to, I want to assure you of that. But I felt the Holy Spirit say, before you do what you thought you were going to do, which is give everybody the chance to reach up and pull down whatever they need. I want you as a church body to reach up and take hold of what you need for this second building God gave us, which God gave us through the generosity of the guy who, and, the, and, the, and his wife who built it, Joe and Sarah Cole, gave us the opportunity to buy it for 3.5 million and it was worth 8 million. And we were able to buy it and God did another miracle in 2017 and we were able to get a mortgage. And it just happens, Aaron told me that that mortgage stands, it was 1.5, it now stands at 1.2 million. The exact amount that we've been given before. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, I want all of you to reach up and take hold. You see, this building right here, it doesn't belong to Duncan and Kate or Aaron and Jess or the, or the board. It belongs to all of us together. This is your building. It's not my building. This is our building. And in fact, this is our building with all of heaven. So let's just reach up, take hold by faith, 1.2 million. And let's put it into Catch the Fire's bank account. And I want you to do, have fun making some good noises. Okay? So here we go. Put your hands down. Get loose. Just warm up your arm a minute so you don't pull or strain anything. <laughs> okay. Right now, plant your feet. Ready? On a count of three. What, what are we doing? What are we doing? Who are we? We're sons, friends, colleagues, and kings. And we're going to reach up into that invisible atmosphere. And we're going to take hold of $1.2 million. And we're going to yank it violently down. And we're going to put it by faith into Catch the Fire Raleigh's bank account, which is our church together. And then after that, we're going to do it again. But the next time will be for you. For what you need. We've seen, we've seen Wives come out of heaven. Husbands come out of heaven. Children come out of heaven. Houses come out of heaven. Cars come out. We've seen extraordinary things come by just simply doing this since that day. And sometimes if you go to a restaurant, you might see someone just do that. that that's a member of our church from those days. All right. Ready? On a count of three, for Catch the Fire Raleigh to pay this building off together. It's time, exactly, Kate. Ready? One, two, three. Hit! Yeah! Yeah, that feels good. That just feels so good. Doesn't that feel good? That feels good. All right. Okay. How many of you have a mortgage that you'd like to pay, have paid off? Good. This is your moment. 
sickness is going to get healed. People that want to get married. Yep, your husband's just about to fall on top of you. Your wife's just about to fall on top of you. We had one lady in Mozambique. She reached up like this. She was mad about this message. And the Lord said, what are you mad for? Just do it. And she said, well, it's so inappropriate for him to come and tell us missionaries about 1.2 million. What's he doing, this preacher? The Lord said, you've got needs. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. You're 32 years old and you're still not married and you want a husband. Well, that sobered her right up. And the Lord said, reach up into heaven and grab your husband. Well, she did in the practice run. When she did, she said, my hand bumped into a physical man's heel. And then she said, I went up his hairy leg and shot my hand back down. No, I made that part up just for fun. She grabbed him by the heel. And the Holy Spirit said, yank him down by his physical heel. She was holding it as if it was real, which it was. She pulled him down. Literally a week or two later, she's back home in Virginia. And in walks a young childhood sweetheart. And God had kept them both, both still virgins. And she wrote to us and told us, we're together. Our families love each other. Then she wrote, we're engaged. Then she wrote, we're married. Then she wrote, we've had our first child. Then she wrote, we've had our second child. Come on. This is a moment. This is a moment. Thousands of souls are going to be saved from this moment. This is not just a fun moment. This is a moment. And all of heaven's lining up for you in this moment. You know that you're called to start a business. That business is about to drop on you and it's going to be more successful than you've ever been in your life so far. Ready? On account of three, for each of you, I want my mortgage paid off. All of them. On account of three. One, two, three. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.